Kids love movies. If you're a young person who can't see or can't see well, Audio Description provides access to the visual images that sighted kids enjoy. The benefits of Audio Description in Education Beatty Contest, sponsored by ACB's Audio Description Project and the Described and Captioned Media Program, wants those kids to experience Audio Description and then tell us about it. You have a chance to win prizes for yourself and your teacher. Just go to www.badycontest.org, B-A-D-I-E, contest.org, and keep on enjoying audio description. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. All right, good afternoon, everybody. Hope everybody's having a good day. Um, we're joined by my dove in the background, if you can hear her, and also Dorian and Cheddar. So um, today we're going to talk about family roles. And everybody in a family has certain assigned or assumed roles. Roles are usually um, unconsciously assigned in the family. Um, healthy families have certain members who have certain roles, and dysfunctional families also have certain members who have roles. But everybody in the family has a role. So whether you're talking about your family as, um, you know, your mom and dad and siblings and you or your children and your partner, um, people in, in the families have different roles. And so we'll talk about some of those roles. Sometimes people have certain roles in the family and they don't want those roles. They were, they were given those roles and they don't really want those roles. So we'll talk about how you can benefit from having the roles and we'll talk about how you can extract yourself or change the roles that you may have been assigned. Um, the the role members, I mean, the roles that, that each family has basically um, determine how much power each member has, um, and it also includes responsibility and impact on the other family members. So there are certain family roles that, you know, they people have a lot of responsibility, a lot of authority, a lot of power, and then there are certain roles where you don't really have quite so much power. And, um, you know, a lot of times when people are in the family roles where they don't really have as much power, they may wish to have a little bit more power than they do. Um, families are always seeking to to stay balanced or homeostatic. Um, when one or more of the family members are struggling, uh, you know, it, it causes an imbalance and other family members then will step up to um, cause the, the, um, to cause the family to regain, regain its balance. And you might be able to think about that um, in terms of, you know, when children go to school, um, it, it causes a shift in the family because now the kids who were reliant on mom or dad or both all day long are spending part of their day at school or in situations where children are, you know, attending residential schools. That causes a big shift in the family as well. It can also become even more confusing when you have situations where, 
you know, you have a stepfather or a stepmother, and then you have step siblings, half siblings. Um, you know, because every time you move from one family model to the other, say, you know, this weekend you spend you know, your time at your dad's house and the next weekend at mom's and you keep transferring back and forth, it causes a continual shift in the family. And it can be difficult because not everybody has a role, but they have to also learn what their role might be. And in one family, you might be um, the golden child. And in another family, you might be the scapegoat. It becomes even more complicated when you have situations in the family where, you know, you're spending long periods of time, maybe at residential schools or um, boarding schools, you know, that type of thing. Because if you spend a great deal of time at those places, those people in that school become another family to you. So, you know, then when you go home to your your real family, uh, it it can become very difficult. And, you know, the the residential school, you may be in a position of, of pretty high power. People might like you. You might be a popular child. And then you go back to your home and you might actually be the scapegoat in the family. So <laughs> all this whole thing about families uh, and family systems is very complicated. The important part about understanding your family role or roles, because sometimes people have more than one, is that as you grow into adulthood, you will continue behaving at work or in your organizations or whatever in the same family role position that, that you were as a child. So if you're a scapegoat, you will continue to find yourself being a scapegoat in the organization or in the workplace. If you were you know, the caretaker, you'll continue to attempt to be the caretaker. And that may work for you, but it also may start causing real problems for you. Because one, you may not get to, you know, positions that you want to. Um, you may not be very happy. Um, and, and secondly, some other colleagues and peers may not want you to take care of them. They may not want you to rescue them or... Um, they they may think that you need to quote get more backbone you know um, and and not be a, not allow yourself to be a scapegoat in families when we talk about parents or families typically we're talking about you know a family with a mother a father um, but it could also be two mothers or two fathers we're seeing a lot more same sex marriages and so. You may have two women who are raising children or two men who are raising children. Um, maybe one of those people take on more of a masculine role and one of them take on more of a feminine role. Maybe they don't. Maybe they're just more equal. And we also see families that are comprised of extended family members, grandparents very often. Um, and sometimes aunts and uncles, you know, live in the house and they actually are part of the family. So in a, in a healthy family, um, the people in healthy families have roles as well. Uh, and basically the difference in a healthy family and a unhealthy family is 
People in healthy families are able to communicate openly. They are able to express their needs and their wants uh, with with the reasonable assurance that you know they're going to have their needs met. Um, they feel more equal to each other in the in the family, um, and and they're able to resolve problems. So they don't need as many different roles in their families because they're not in denial of issues. When issues arise, they're able to say, you know, this is an issue. Let's sit down and discuss how to resolve it. And they're able to do that. Unhealthy families, unfortunately, are not able to do that. And they have very poor communication. Um, They often feel the need to deny issues or blame other people for the problems in the family. and they may not even be aware of that. So in a healthy family, you have the nurturer. And nurturers usually are parents or grandparents, um, whoever is taking care of the family. At the residential school, it could be house parents or teachers. Um, these people are supportive. They respect the people that they take care of. Uh, they communicate well, and they provide opportunities for growth and development. Then you have the cheerleader, and these are usually parents or older siblings, and these people spend a good deal of time encouraging other family members. Um, They, you know, they really kind of cheer you on. Um, They're not critical. They, unless it would be, you know, constructively, but they're not harsh like criticism. They, They just kind of cheer everybody on. You know, when times are difficult, they have solutions and they have the belief that together your family is going to get through whatever. Then there's a truth teller and that person understands what is going on in the family and they're able to observe it critically and offer appropriate suggestions or solutions. Um, They often um, you know, have insight into what's going on in the family. They're the person who can tell you what's going on with with little Jimmy or whoever. Um, so that's what happens in a healthy family. In an unhealthy family, you know, because um, there's a lot of other things going on, very often children will take on the roles of their parents. Their parents may be into you know, emotional issues or drugs or alcohol. Um, and so the children often have, and have to take on the roles of, of their parents. Um, they may have to look out for their younger siblings. Um, unfortunately, they often act as a stand-in spouse, which can be really difficult. They're often forced to seek their own food, water, and shelter. And they may be forced to put their own emotional and developmental needs on hold just to survive. And when that happens, that will catch up with them. And this is often why you see people maybe in their 20s and you're thinking, well, she still acts like she's a teenager. Well, maybe she wasn't really allowed to do things as a teenager. Um, And so she's still behaving as a teenager. Uh, and sometimes that can happen as well when, when you go to a residential school because you may be denied the privileges of, you know, dating and 
um, some of the things that children in public school do. So when you get an opportunity, of course, you are trying to catch up developmentally um, to the things that you need to do. Um, The roles in the um, unhealthy family are scapegoat. Um, This is the person in the family where everything is blamed on them. Uh, It doesn't matter what happens. It somehow is that person's fault. Um, And scapegoats respond with inappropriate attention-seeking behavior. Um, They usually feel unlovable and, you know, like nobody really cares about them. And they usually have to do additional things just to get attention. Scapegoats are very aware of what's going on. They know that they're being blamed for everything. And um, they're usually in in therapy sessions, they're usually the most honest because, you know, everything's going to be blamed on them anyway. So they may as well be honest about it and tell you what's going on. So, um, you know, very often they'll tell us exactly what's going on. The identified patient, I know the identified patient and the scapegoat are often the same person or um, have very similar roles. These people usually have something different about them. They have a disability or they have an addiction or they have a mental illness. And maybe they have um, cognitive you know, delay. Um, but they're the identified patient. And so when things happen in the family, everybody goes to this identified patient and they they can lavish attention or um, focus on that person versus what's really going on in the family. So that's how people with disabilities, you know, people like us who are blind, we often become the identified patient and or the scapegoat. Um, and it causes often sibling rivalry and, you know, a feeling of if you if you move ahead, if you become successful, then, of course, you're no longer the identified patient. And that upsets the family apple cart, so to speak. So sometimes people are kind of reluctant to do that. Um, the last child. This is the child who usually just blends into the background. They keep to themselves emotionally. And, um, you know, they, they have to just kind of blend into the background. And it becomes especially difficult if there is or when there is an identified patient in the in the midst um, because the lost child will get very little attention and they don't do a whole lot to get attention the scapegoat will do whatever they can to get attention the lost child is just kind of there and you know they they feel like they have to be almost invisible um, because otherwise you know they don't they don't want to take the scapegoat's role, so they continue to be the lost child. Um, very often that can happen when there is a, a younger sibling um, who becomes the identified patient, and the sibling next to that person, because they're closest to them in age, will often become the lost child. Uh, the mascot, these are the people who, everything that happens, they try to smooth it over very quickly with humor. Uh, they don't want more serious issues. They want everything to be funny and happy. And um, so they're they're really adept at using humor. The problem with that is if they continue to be the mascot in the workplace or, 
you know, uh, in organizations, then people will say, you know, you don't take things very seriously. You're not taking our projects seriously. You're not taking what we do seriously because, you know, you just kind of smooth everything over with some sense of humor. They may be very enjoyable to be around initially, but after a while, that constant humor uh, can get a little old because it takes away from the focus of what you're trying to get accomplished. And then we have the hero. These people um, are looked to, uh, to make the family appear healthy. They might be the golden child, um, you know, the, the child who can do no wrong or the child who gets everything they want or just doesn't seem to have to really struggle for anything. Um, and they will do whatever they can to make the, the family appear really healthy and functional. Um, even even denying outright that anything is going on or that they they have any difficulty. Um, so family roles, you know, you're you're often just cast into the role, whatever whatever the role is, whether it's a healthy family or an unhealthy family, you're you're just cast into that role. The other thing is, you may pick up another role when one role doesn't really work for you. Um, you may pick up another role. Or as we talked about before, in, in different family settings, you may have one role in one family and another role in another family, which can be you know, pretty difficult because you're always switching back and forth. So the best way to survive all of this is, first of all, try to understand your family dynamics and the various roles that people have. And recognize that they did not probably choose those roles. They, they were just kind of assigned the roles. And and it's not even a conscious thing. It, it's not like, you know, a parent says, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this person my golden child, or I'm gonna make that person my scapegoat. It's kind of an unconscious thing that happens. Um, so try to understand that your siblings didn't choose their role any more than you chose yours. Um, and the next thing that you can do is Practice good self-care. You know, take care of yourself emotionally. Uh, cultivate relationships outside of your family. And, um, you know, start to to decide what role you want to be. If you don't want to be the scapegoat, and, you know, it, it may take a lot of assertiveness or setting boundaries, but when you feel like you're being blamed for something that you didn't do or you didn't cause, you can say, you know what? I understand that you need to blame me for this because it's you know, you're denying your own emotions, but I'm not willing to accept that blame. And so when you say this over and over, all of a sudden they will stop blaming you as much because it doesn't work anymore. Because now you're you're upsetting the balance. You're refusing to be the scapegoat, or you can refuse to be um, the the caretaker. And I forgot to talk about the caretaker. Uh, the caretaker is often the person who is a martyr or an enabler. Um, they will, anytime there's an issue, they will do whatever they can to make it okay or to sweep it over. Um, they often enable, if, if parents are alcoholic, they will often make sure that the person you know, continues to get the alcohol because if they don't, they know that that can be problems. Um, so they enable a lot of things, again, not consciously, but just to keep peace in the family, 
to keep everybody happy. Um, they often try to mm. solve everybody's problems, whether you want them solved or not, um, things like that. So anyway, back to survival. The other thing that you can do is minimize your time with the family as much as possible. Now, obviously, you know, we can't just avoid our family or whatever. But if you can minimize your interactions, especially until you feel in a place where you're healthier. Um, Dory, stop. Um, the other thing that, that's really important is if you do feel that you or anybody else is at danger or at risk, you know, definitely notify the police or crisis lines. You may be able to encourage your family to get into family therapy. Um, it's important not to allow them, again, to put everything on you or to say everything is your fault. So family therapy may be helpful for some people. Um, sitting down and having family discussions may be helpful for some people. Uh, because, again, because this is not something that we do consciously, uh, p- there may be certain people in the family who are even not really aware of what they do. And you can just say things like, you know, I know, notice that every time things become stressful for you, you blame me. Or you bring up the fact that we wouldn't be in this situation if I weren't blind. And I'm wondering what that is about for you. And then you can tell them how that feels, you know, for you. So there may be things that you can do to kind of lessen the impact of family roles. But the important thing is to strive, even if other people don't seem to want to do that or, or don't, don't do it themselves, strive for you to be as honest and open and a good communicator. Um, try not to be critical. Try to use empathy and understand, you know, how other people have gotten into the position and how you have. And be, be gentle with yourself because, you know, nobody actually, you know, set up a puzzle and said, well, this is, this is what we're all going to, you know, this is the role where we're all going to assign everybody to. Um, it, it just happens in different family dynamics. So if anybody has any questions or comments or thoughts, See. Okay, um, we have a hand raised from 703. Who is that, yeah, please? I was, I was wondering, do you find birth order has much to do with roles? Jesse? Uh, what, what happened? Oh, um, a lady asked a question. Could you repeat that again? Maybe a little bit louder. It was a little bit quiet. Okay. Do you find that birth order affects people's ro- roles much? Yes, it, it can. Um, usually older siblings are seen more as, you know, caretakers because very often they do have to take care of the younger ones. And even if not, you know, all the time, um, maybe brief periods of time. I mean, you know, you watch your little brother while I fix dinner. Well, that, that makes an older sibling the caretaker. So very often they're, they're seen as caretakers. They are often the people who will um, try to be the peacemaker. And then younger children are more often, you know, scapegoated um, because they're younger and they're more vulnerable. So, yeah, not always in every situation, but very often in um, 
the birth order does make a difference. Middle children are, you know, often the lost children. Um, now, these dynamics can change. Like if the older sibling, the oldest sibling has a chronic medical condition or a disability, then the next child that comes along may get the role of caretaker to, you know, help parents look after that child. So that's when it can often switch. Okay. Okay. It doesn't look like we have any further hands up right now. Uh oh. <laughs> no more questions? Excuse me. I have my hand raised. Okay. Just raised it a minute ago. Oh, this there is- you are. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. That's all right. Go right ahead, Pam. I, I was beginning to think Zoom was being Zoomy today. Well, it was it being be. Zoomy. It was because I couldn't, I didn't see you up there, but there you are okay. now. So, well, well, I had my hand way up in the air. Okay. Well, well you know, sometimes you just have to speak up. <laughs> oh, uh, yes. All of this is really resonating with me because I'm an only child, or at least I'm the only surviving child. But oh, wow. my mother, was one of 10 children. And, you know, looking back, I think I see all of the above in her family. Um, mm-hmm. There are not many left now, but <clears throat> the older, well, the oldest brother uh, was sort of the, you know, in a way was sort of maybe not caretaker like a mother would be, but you know, the older kids kind of had to look after the younger ones at times. And I don't know that there was really a scapegoat um, as far as the actual siblings in the family went. But the one they gave a hard time was the wife of one of the uh, one of the siblings. And I never have figured out how that got started. But, oh, they they really treated her like trash. Um, it, but the, the most interesting thing that happened was the youngest child, um, as he got older and all the family had scattered and all of that, uh, it turned out to be a control freak. Um, and I don't know for sure how that came about because as far as I know, he wasn't scapegoated uh, or or I mean, he certainly didn't have a disability or anything like that. But when when my mother died, uh, he, the youngest brother, became the executor of her estate. And, you know, when I learned about this, I thought, OK, this this will work. Well, then when he turned out to be a control freak, I thought, whoa, where did this come from? And I still don't know where it came from, but I, I've. I find it kind of interesting that here the youngest child and there are only two of the siblings left. That youngest one is no longer living, believe it or not. He he didn't get to exert control for very long. He got cancer and he was it, it was a very fast growing cancer. And uh, but I find it interesting that he of all people being the youngest turned into a real control freak well sometimes that happens um when you when you see dramatic changes um in people it's because they don't want whatever role it is that they have 
Maybe he yeah. didn't want to be, you know, the youngest child and coddled, and he wanted yeah. to kind of compete with his brother, who had been the caretaker. And, yeah, could and be. so he decided, you know, I can do a better job than he does. So yeah, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. So usually, when you see a, a significant change like that, somebody doesn't want, and they're making it very clear that they don't want that role. Yeah. And okay. So then they'll step into another one, mm-hmm. which can also often cause conflict because, you know, if I'm in one role and I like my role, and you try to take my role. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that causes yeah. a little conflict. And we yeah. often see the same thing in organizations um, or committees and that type of thing. Um, oh, we'll, yeah. We'll, yeah. Um, one person has a pretty powerful role and another person, maybe they attend five, six, seven committee member meetings and they've always been quiet. And then all of a sudden, bam, they just <laughs> kind of take over. And it's like, yeah. what the heck? <laughs> because they didn't like that role. Of course, you know? it's not so funny when it actually happens and it totally no, it disrupts the <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but this is why that kind of thing happened, you know, because they didn't like being the person on the kind of the outside looking in or whatever their role had been. But I, I just always oh, yeah. found that kind of interesting that it worked out that way. It is interesting, and it must yeah. have been very interesting for you if you oh, were the only child. It was horrible. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, uh, coming back from my mother's funeral, of all things, you know, you're dealing with raw grief anyway. We all were. And he said something on the way home that all of a sudden I thought, whoa, this, no, this may get ugly. And it did. And then for you uh, not to have other siblings in your same role map, you know, Correct. to kind of share yeah. that with. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. So it was um, it was not an easy time. No, I can um, imagine. Yeah. Um, we so have a anyway, couple more ha- yeah. hands up. Got you. Um, Thank you. S- so next we have Carla. Hi there. Can you hear me? Yeah, We ma'am. can. Okay, first of all, I'm just so thrilled I can attend this now. I mean, it was always when I was at work, and I, I was missing them and feeling bad. Oh, cool. Yeah. I really enjoy this, but um, I have an interesting family dynamic, and I can identify with a lot you were saying. I went to residential school until my 10th grade year, and I had two brothers who were six and eight years older than me. And I was away for a lot, and it was always painful because there were lots, there were a lot of family memories that I wasn't a part of, and um, and yet I had a lot of memories that they weren't a part of, and I was bullied a lot at school, and then I did um, go to public school. I was mainstream, but by then my brothers had moved out, and and you know our family used to be close and everything, but. Um, there was always this thing where my, you know, my brothers and, you know, they would all have memories that I didn't share with them. And it was really painful. And now my mother just passed away and my father had passed away and my brother passed away. And I have one remaining brother, my oldest brother, and he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. And, you know, I'd like to be closer to him, but I think they all got so used to me being away 
that and, and they don't understand, you know, some of the things that I went through. And I don't know how to bridge that because, you know, he's all I've got left now. And he's talking about moving to Georgia. And my mom just passed away in November. And so I'm feeling sort of lonely because I didn't have any children of my own. And, um, and you know, I, I, I just don't know where to go with this. But, you know, it's one of the things that's making my grieving process more difficult, too. Yeah, it can be very difficult. And especially, like you said, you know, you, you spent a great deal of time away from home. And then, of course, when you came home, not only did you have to try to figure out how to insert yourself in the family, but they had to kind of figure out where did you fit. Um, and and now that you do have those, you know, you have different experiences and he has different experiences. Um, basically, all you can really do is just try to keep in contact with him and, um, you know, be supportive of each other as you can. And, and he, you know, uh, just, just try to interact as much as possible as you can with him, uh, recognizing that, you know, he has to make some decisions, too. Uh, he may kind of feel like he's doing okay and doesn't really need that interaction. So, yeah, it can be really hard. And loss of a parent, loss of a sibling, that once again changes the family dynamics big time. So, you know, you've lost three people in the family. And so every time you lost a family member, you had to kind of readjust and so now here you are, um, and especially if your mother, you know, had more of a caregiving or matriarchal role in the family. It, yeah. yeah. She was definitely a caregiver and a matriarch and a cheerleader. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anybody loves you like your mother does sometimes. And my father was very, you know, he was very supportive. And I lost him at a very, you know, he was only 54. And my other brother was only 45. And yeah. uh, now it's like my um, my intimacies, uh, my intimacy and family needs are not being met now. And I, you know, I'm, I'm feeling like I have to almost grieve alone because, you know, my brother has his wife and he, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't get a lot of things. He doesn't get how the empty dinner table and, you know, being alone. And, you know, I, I was taking care of my mother, too. And um, mm-hmm. And she got dementia. And so it's it's just a very different thing. But it's it's been with us all our all my life because of the way I went away at a very early age. And um, and we, I, it used to be really depressing when they would get out the family movies and they'd be sitting watching movies and I was not in them. You know what I mean? Um, so right. by the time I my father got tired of making movies, I guess, by the time I was born and I wasn't around when they were. So, you know, it was just I don't know. It's just really weird. But I just really find this so interesting. And I do want to thank you for putting this program on. And I'm hoping I can get to more, um, you know, more um, meetings, because, um, as I said, the, the, the timing wasn't good when I went back to work and everything. So Well, good. I'm glad you're able to enjoy it. Join us and get, you know, something out of the meeting. All right, Jesse, next we have Haley. Hi, Jesse. How are you? Hello. Good to be on here. I'm finding this all very interesting. Um, <laughs> so I was the oldest child. I have two younger brothers, but I was also like the oldest grandchild. So um, I was the caregiver growing up. 
um, in lots of ways. <laughs> you know, I babysat and everything like that too. But what I'm really enjoying and finding really interesting is um, it's made me think about not only the profession that I went into as an occupational therapist, which was in in a you know it would probably be considered a caregiver mm-hmm. um, type job, even though I was teaching people to be independent themselves. Um, and the roles that I have in my state affiliate, the the committees that I chair are very caregiverish. <laughs> um, and now it's making me think about how I'm portrayed or seen or the way that I behave, you know, in ACB. It's really got me thinking about things. Um, where I struggle is that I have two teenage children who um, I pride myself on being the mom that I am and that I am a caretaker, but it's made me rethink that they're, you know, they're growing, they're at that point that they, they're looking for, to be independent. They don't need me to caretake so much mm-hmm. anymore. So <laughs> my role is kind of changing. Um, it's kind of making me question what's next, right? I'm getting to that, not quite to that empty nester, but it'll be around the corner. Um, and also I'm not super good. I love caretaking. Um, I'm not so good about letting people take care of me when I need it. So just wondered if you had any thoughts on that. Well, caretakers, first of all, often go into helping professions, nursing, occupational therapy, counseling, whatever, because they have a need to continue caretaking because that's what's familiar to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, they, they often go into those types of positions. Um, if you enjoy that role and you feel, you know, like that's what you want to do, there are certainly other things that you can do to help take care of people and that type of thing. The bad part about being a caretaker is they often take care of people when they don't need it and have a hard yes. time letting go. Yes. So, you know, you're working with that. Oh, man, we're on the radio. Shoot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and um, they often have a difficult time allowing other people to provide care for them. Yeah. Um, so, you know, basically all you can do is kind of be aware of that and try to back off a little bit from your sons and give them a little bit more independence. And Think of some things that you might be able to do, especially as they do move out of the home, um, so that you can continue either in that role or mm-hmm. you can kind of move into a different role. Um, right. You might think of some things you can do. And even just being supportive of other people. You know, caretaking isn't necessarily getting me dressed or fixing my food or Right. You know, something. It could be just a matter of of being supportive of people and letting Mm -hmm. people know that, you know, you're there and and you would like to kind of just be there for them. Jesse, do you find that, I mean, maybe this is a general statement, but do you find that people who are caretakers are more likely to have troubles with boundaries or is there not like a personality Caretakers, yeah, caretakers have difficulty with boundaries, especially for themselves. They have a difficulty, you know, setting their boundaries to take care of themselves. Um, Mm -hmm. And they have a difficulty recognizing when (laughs) I don't need as much care as I once did. Right. Okay. Well, you've given me a lot to think about. 
And then scapegoats have a difficult time with boundaries because um, they have had such unstable relationships and they've always, you know, they've been blamed. And so they have a really difficult time with trust and being, you know, feeling like that they are lovable, worthwhile people. So they have a difficult time with boundaries as well. Okay. Well, I really appreciate you doing this call. I think it's really important. And like I said, it's given me a lot to think about. And I enjoy listening to the dove in the background. It's beautiful. (laughs) Ah, All right. (laughs) I'm glad that I'm glad that you're here. And I'm glad that you shared. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for doing this. Welcome. Okay, that seems to be um, the last hand we have up for right now. And it's about 15 minutes before the hour. Okay. Well, you know, the purpose of these calls is not to make people feel worse, um, but maybe it's just, you know, educational, <laughs> something that you can think about how how you can make your, your life better and, and things work better for you and your situation, whatever that is. But it's not intended as therapy. If you, you know, if you really are struggling with something, then you might want to seek some type of professional help even from a clergy member, because many clergy are trained in counseling as well. Um, and and sometimes just talking through a situation, you know, with a friend or whoever can help you come back to what you need to do for yourself. Um, as always, if anybody has any topics or anything that you would like to explore further or again or whatever, uh, let me know because, you know, I always am looking for topics. and to continue to do the call so we have to have things to talk about so anybody have any last minute comments or anything i'm not seeing any hands at this time all right well um we'll be back next week and we're going to talk about setting down carla put her hand up oh go for it i just was going to ask is this going to be our new time slot now because i can you know i mean or is it going to move um that's my curiosity yeah um tuesdays wasn't working out really well for me because you know they would call from work and i'd have to deal with that one thing or another so i know they're not going to call me after five o'clock now uh, from work um so yeah five o'clock on wednesdays will be our new time slot Great. I might be sending you some topic ideas that I never did before. Oh, please do. Please do. Okay. No more hands. All right. Well, you all have a good week. And next week, we're going to talk about setting boundaries. Thank you so much, Jesse. This has been wonderful. And um, I've really enjoyed being your host. Okay. Thank you very much. And Jason, thank you. You're very welcome.